Good morning, everyone. If you could just find your way to your seat, that'd be great. Thank you. Good to see everyone. Welcome this morning to Whitburn Pentecostal Church. Welcome also if you're joining online. Um, it's great that you're with us. I hope that you can stay uninterrupted all the way through to the end. Um, it's great when we can come together as our church family and just be an encouragement and a support to one another. And so I'm glad that we can be here. If it's your first time with us today, then welcome. If you're joining for the first time online, welcome. And uh, the other thing that I wanted to say today, uh, particularly for those who are online, is we're going to take communion today. So if you can get yourself ready uh, to do that, that would be great. And uh, so, yeah, we're just we're glad to be in God's presence today. And uh, let's just begin uh, our, our service of worship today by praying. Um, God is the reason that we're here. He's the one that joins us together. He's the one that uh, lives within us through his spirit. And he's the one that we're here to worship today. So let's really uh, open up our hearts as we pray and as we praise. And uh, we're going to worship him today. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're here in this place today. Father, we confess today that we need you. Father, it's so tempting to think that we can do life on our own when we're feeling strong and fit and healthy and things are going well and we can so easily forget about you. But Father, we confess even, even when things are going well that we need you. Father, maybe for those who are in difficulty today, Lord, we need you. Lord, when we're maybe just going through the motions of life and, and things kind of seem a bit bland and the same uh, day by day, particularly because our routines are interrupted by the situation that we're all in, Father, you are there and we need you. And Father, we know that you never change, that you are that one constant in our lives. And so, Father, we just thank you that you're here today and we want to come and worship you. We want to come and just... Uh, just express something of our love for you today. Lord, we know that we're not able to praise in the way that we normally do, but Father, we pray that despite that, that music would rise from within our hearts and in, in our spirits. And Lord, that we would know your presence in this place today. Father, we need you. And that's our confession today. Father, we need you. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit. We welcome you today into this place to just come into our hearts and to be uh, so present in our experience today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to take communion in just a little minute, um, but we're going to worship God first, um, singing this song, uh, Yes, I Will. Sarah's going to lead us. Thanks, Sarah.
just love the, the words in that song. I count on one thing, the same God that never fails. Will not fail me now, you won't fail me now. In the waiting, the same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. We know that Paul tells us that in everything God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purposes even in the difficult times even in the times when we don't understand what's happening we know that God is at work in those difficult times he is that one constant in our lives and as we prepare to take communion I want to just read uh, some some words from the, the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 9 um, might seem an unusual choice for communion but it leads into where uh, we're going in the message as well and so just as we prepare to do that Father we ask that you would come and that you would illuminate our hearts today we want to hear your voice Father we need your words your words are like life they are life to us body, soul and spirit and so Father we invite you to come and just to speak through your word and through the things which you would say to us today and may our hearts be receptive to all that you want to say to us in Jesus' name. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says this, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And it's that duality, it's that continual battle sometimes between being controlled by our old, old sort of sinful nature and being controlled by the Spirit. We don't want to be controlled by that old nature, but we are controlled by the Spirit. It goes on to say, if, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. God is doing something in us. There's this death to the old nature and to self, but there is a life that comes from God. And if the Spirit who... Uh, spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. And these are incredible words, encouraging words. It's not just talking about the old nature now, we're talking about our actual physical body which will be given life and just getting back into this theme of resurrection again because the Holy Spirit lives within us and he is the one who gives us life. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. Our obligation is to him. We've come to worship him today. We've come to lift up the name of Jesus. Just by being here, we're lifting up the name of Jesus. And so we're going to take uh, wine, bread and wine, which remind us of the body and of the blood of Jesus. And so if we just get ready to do that, we're going to take that together. And hopefully you'll be ready um, for those who are joining online as well, uh, just to share in communion uh, this morning. And Father, we recognize that it's through the death of Jesus, through his resurrection, that we have this life, that we have power, Father, to just even begin to apprehend something of who you are. Father, you are beyond our understanding. Your ways are beyond our ways. They're higher than our ways. Father, how can we begin with such limited knowledge to understand the God of the universe, the God who put the stars into space, Father, the God who created everything and who is eternal and who lives outside of time and has this incredible perspective on human life. Father, we see 
just a fraction and we understand a fraction. Father, you see everything in its entirety. And Father, you saw this day. Father, you saw our hearts on this day. Father, you saw the moment when Jesus would say on that cross, it is finished. Father, you saw Jesus when he rose to life again, when power came back into his body. Father, you saw the birth of the church and you looked forward and you saw us in this day, in this moment. And Father, we are just, we're blown away by the fact that you know us and that you see us and that you love us and that you care for us and that you want to be in our lives today. Father, we thank you that this is possible through what Jesus has done for us. We thank you that it's possible because he was willing in that garden of Gethsemane to pray, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Father, we just pray. We pray that we would be able to say that same prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Father, we pray that you'd help us to put our old nature to death, to put that behind us. And Father, to live in the power of the Holy Spirit day by day by day, moment by moment. Father, that we might become more like Jesus. And so, Father, as we take this bread, we remember his body, which was broken for us. And we are so grateful, we are so thankful for what he has done. And so, Father, we lift up Jesus' name today in thanks and in worship. Let's just take the bread uh, together. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus which was shed for us on that cross. And even before he even got, before he even got to the cross, it was shed. And Father, we are so grateful for Jesus. We are so grateful for the power that is in that shed blood of Jesus to make us clean, to make us whole. And Father, we just pray that you'd help us to apply these things to our lives every single day. And Father, in this moment, we apply this to our lives. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. And we are so grateful that he gives us the ability to put to death, to put to death that old nature, that sinful nature, which was part of our past, and to live in newness of life through your spirit. We thank you that that's all possible because of him. Let's take the wine together as well. just so grateful for everything that you do for us. Your blessings are new every morning. And Father, every day we wake, we, we just walk into the, the blessings which you have for us. Father, sometimes we're walking through the, the dark valley and Lord, we know that you're with us in those experiences as well. And so Father, we know that no matter who is here today, no matter who is joining us online, Father, you know each one of us, you know the circumstances that we're in and Lord, we pray that you'd help us. Father, help us in all of these different areas of life. Father, help us in our weakness. 
And Father, just as we pray today, we, we remember Bet, who's needing a touch in her body uh, from you today. Lord, we just pray that you'd be with her and that you'd strengthen her. Lord, we think of Pastor Daly down in Glasgow who's struggling uh, and is in a bad way with COVID. And Lord, we just ask that you would come and that you'd do a miracle in his situation. And Father, we ask that you would just be a real source of strength to him. <coughs> Father, that you bring physical healing into his body. And Father, we pray for his family, Lord, that, that they would know your presence in such a, a powerful way at, at this point in time as well. And Father, we, we also remember the Queen who's uh, just in such a difficult place just now. Uh, yeah, Father, we, we just pray that you'd strengthen her and her family. Lord, as much as she is a, a public figure, Lord, she's also a person who feels emotions and Father, we just pray that you'd strengthen her at this time. And Lord, that you would just be her rock and her fortress. And Father, that you would just be that presence that surrounds her at this time and her family. Lord, we pray for all who are struggling today. Lord, all who are, who are in grief, all who are mourning. And Lord, we just ask that you would be a, a real source of strength to each one. And Father, that we would know your presence. And even in those dark times, that we would know your presence. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' precious, precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for leading us. Um, we're going to turn to God's word in a minute. We're going to go into the book of Job. Um, just to remind people that there are no groups on this week. Everything's off this week. It's just uh, uh, so that we can all get a bit of a break. Um, do you need a break? I don't know. <laughs> some people are saying yes, some people are saying, some people are not sure. I, I think we maybe need a break from the monotony. <laughs> um, so today I want to just consider uh, a, a short message called Three Things That Never Change. And the, the, the references to Job are on the screen there, uh, the ones that we're going to refer to. Um, and so we're going to get into that in just a little second. And you've probably all heard that phrase, uh, you know, some things in life never change. It's usually when somebody does something that you keep asking them not to do and they keep doing it. And it's like, ah, some things in life never change. Have you ever said that? Or is it just me? Yeah. I'm, I'm in here alone today. <laughs> I kind of thought I was back to recording online there again. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Yeah, we sometimes say some things in life never change. And it's, it's usually kind of accompanied by that. So that expression. And uh, there are some things we wish would never change. Um, I don't know about you, I wish the size of my waist wouldn't change <laughs> up the way. I wish it would change back the way. Or the, the reduction in my bank balance, I wish that would go up the way instead of going down the way, you know. Um, there are things that have uh, changed during COVID. Um, it's hard to believe that that's been over a year we've been in all this uh, mix, isn't it? And family life has changed. It's been affected. Kids been at home, having to do homeschooling, people working from home, not being able to go out and do all the things that we normally do. Sorry, you're getting tired just listening to me talking about it. It's like, you know, things that we wish could change, our personal freedoms, the restrictions to our movements, all of these things. And uh, for, for us doing church, it's like church online and all the tech and all the stuff that we've had to think about to make that happen for all those who are still joining online um, and you know it's just like 
so many things have changed uh, over this last year, and it's changed us probably in the process. But there are also things that haven't changed. You know, uh, sometimes it's the scenery. It's like we're still looking at the same four walls. For those of us who are in our houses, and maybe some people are lucky enough to have been furloughed and redecorated and has changed the walls. I don't know. Um, the last time I looked, gravity was still working. Yep, that's, that's not changed uh, three weeks ago, uh, and I'm still suffering from that fall. Um, so gravity hasn't changed. We're still uh, flying through the air. Did you know that the planet is flying through the air at 67,000 miles an hour as it orbits around the sun? Can you feel it? No. <laughs> and if you were standing at the equator, believe it or not, you'd be traveling at 1,037 miles an hour as the earth rotates on its axis. Nothing, that's not changed. Well, it's actually probably changed by like a millisecond last year. Did you know that the earth spun a fraction of a second slower last year? That's strange, eh? It's weird. Um, the, the sun's still working. It's still heating everything up. Except here, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting on that. Except here. And so there are some things in life that just haven't changed. You know, there's a lot about life that's constant. It just keeps going on and on, and it never really changes, or we don't, it doesn't seem to change. And there are some things in life over this last year that definitely have changed a lot for us, and they've affected us. And hopefully we, we become stronger in the process. But I want to consider three things that never change today. And those three things are divine sovereignty, human responsibility, and demonic reality. Three things that never change. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility, and demonic reality. These three things don't change. And as I look at the Bible, they have not changed throughout history, certainly through uh, the Bible's history. And probably one of the most powerful examples of this is in the life of a man called Job. Um, I don't know if you've ever read through that book. I've read through it a few times. And man, I just think, what a guy. Um, the things that he endured, but not just that, not only that, his response to those things that he endured. And I just want to just take a wee, a wee look through the, um, a few verses from Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2 as we just walk through this. So let's just have a, a look at these verses through the filter of divine sovereignty, human responsibility, and demonic reality. That's the filter that we're looking through as we read these passages. Job chapter 1 verse 1 says this, in the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was, listen to this, blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. This is human responsibility in action. A man who was blameless, upright, feared God, and shunned evil. This is human responsibility. Job chapter 1, flipping to verse 6, it says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord, say, the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Demonic reality. Satan, where have you come from? Where, where have you come from? What's he been up to? What's he been doing? And in this passage, we just are made aware that there is a demonic reality that very often we don't think about. 
goes on to say, Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth through it. Then the Lord said to Satan, listen to this, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Again, we see this demonic reality, but also human responsibility. Here is a man who it says is blameless and upright. And this is before before he even has the law, the, the law of Moses. It's before there's a Bible. It's before there's a church. It's before there was Hillsong, right? This is a man who's living it in this big, massive world. And if you think about the population of the world then, it's about, it's nearly eight, it's creeping up towards eight billion now. When Jesus was alive, the population of the world was probably about 172 million. Imagine the world before that, thousands of years before that, and you're just kind of on this massive planet spinning around the earth, uh, sorry, spinning around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour, totally blissfully unaware. But here's, here's a man before all this knowledge who is blameless and upright, who fears God and shuns evil. He takes his human responsibility seriously. Let's go on in verse 9 and read what it says. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Wow. <laughs> Have you ever wondered what conversations are going on about you? Yeah. It, it made me think of the story in the book of Acts where it talks about the seven sons of Sceva, I think it is, and they try to cast a demon out of a man, and they say, Jesus I know, Paul I've heard about, but who are you? I wonder, <laughs> in this world of demonic reality, do, do the demons know who you are? Are you creating that much of a star for the kingdom of God that they actually know who you are? Just an interesting thought. But in this passage here, we read about divine sovereignty, demonic reality, and human responsibility. You see, God says, very well then, everything he has is yours, but, and there's a but here, because God is ultimately in control. On the man himself, do not lay a finger. God permits Satan, sorry, God permits Satan to go so far and no further. And it's interesting, I don't know if you've thought about this when you've read the book of Job, all this doesn't happen to Job because he was a bad person and because he was sinning and because he was reverting back to that old nature. This was a man who was blameless and feared God and shunned evil and yet all these bad things happen to him. And I just kind of sometimes think we, we, we look at this and if you think about this diagram here, sometimes bad things in life happen and we think, well, some people think God's causing it. And it's God's fault, and why is he letting this happen to me? Other times we do things, and we mess up, and we say, well, it was the devil that made me do it. Well, it's not actually the devil. It's our own human responsibility. I just felt somebody needs to kind of grasp this today. 
Just because things are going wrong doesn't mean that it's you that it's at fault. And, and just bear that in mind. It goes on to say in the book that we're reading here, then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And the passage goes on to tell us how Job lost servants, he lost livestock uh, through death and accident and all sorts of things, and he also lost his family through this tragic accident, his sons and daughters and their families. And I, I don't know about you, but in this passage, we see this demonic reality. God has allowed Satan to go so far, but no further. And this is what it goes on to say in Job chapter 1, verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Very, very easy, isn't it? To blame God when things go wrong. This is human responsibility, I think, at its very best. And again, God is pleased with Job in the situation, but Satan wants to have another go at him. Job chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. Again, we see divine sovereignty at work. He's in your hands, so there's a demonic reality, but God says this far, but no further. You can't go beyond this marker. And it says in Job chapter 2, verse 7, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. It must have been absolutely horrendous. Not only to have had all this horrible stuff happen to you, but then to find yourself being personally afflicted by what was going on. We see demonic reality and it's interesting to note that it's Satan who's bringing the persecution, not God. God allows it to happen, but it's Satan that brings all these things. And there's a degree of mystery in that whole, that whole thought there. And we'll maybe spend a bit more time on that another time. But it really is a mystery. Why does God allow Satan to do the things he's doing? Why does God allow bad things happen to happen to good people? And it's a mystery. And we'll maybe spend a bit more time on that on another occasion. And this is what it says in uh, chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Wow. An example of human responsibility. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept, accept good from God and not trouble? And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. I think it's probably the easiest way to abdicate our human responsibility and to mess it up is by the things that we say. Not, we don't even need to get as far as doing things. It's just what comes out of our mouth in those moments. And what we see again here is an example of human responsibility. This time, it's a far more powerful example of human responsibility. This is how Job decides to respond in the situation. And we see all the way through this story, and as you keep reading through the book of Job, you see this, these three things at work, uh, divine 
sovereignty, in other words, God is ultimately in control of everything. You see human responsibility, our response to the things that happen in the world, how we decide to speak, think, and act. And we also see demonic reality. We live in a world which I firmly believe has demonic presence in it as well. I sometimes look at what happens in our world and I think, why could something so evil ever happen just coming from a human being? It blows me away. But let's think just briefly about these three different areas. Let's think about divine sovereignty to start off with. I shared a few weeks ago that it's those who are closest to God who see the miracles. I also shared that God doesn't always choose to operate in that way. We don't always see the miracle and see the answer to prayer that we look for. And I think one of the reasons for that, there's, you know, in this book, which I was reading, still am reading, uh, by Pete Gregg, it's called God on Mute. And he talks about why God doesn't always answer prayers the way that we think he's going to answer them. And he says this, this is reason number three, why God doesn't answer our prayers the way we think. Sometimes it's the laws of nature. Some prayers aren't answered because they would be detrimental to the world and to the lives of others. You know, my dad used to pray for rain for his garden, and we'd be praying that it wouldn't rain. <laughs> We're like, we need the sunshine. We don't want the rain. And so you get one person in one part of the country praying one thing, and you get somebody else praying somewhere else. And actually, what we're praying for might actually have a catastrophic effect on somebody else. We want the rain not to come on certain occasions, but it comes nonetheless. And I think, you know, there's that whole kind of dimension where God is far bigger than, than we are. We, we come with our tiny, tiny, small request to a God who lives outside of time. He lives in eternity. He lives beyond space and the known universe, beyond everything that we could ever get to grips with, and we're still getting to grips with it. God lives beyond that, and He is ultimately control, not only of our life in this tiny fraction of time, but all life through all time. God has an eternal perspective. He sees everything happening at the same time. And all of life is progressing to a point where God will ultimately bring justice and an end to sin. Demonic reality, that is a fact, but it will come to an end at one point in time. And God will bring everything under his sovereignty and control. And we can't understand God's ways. God's ways. God is above everything that we could ever imagine or think about. But our human responsibility is to trust God today, tomorrow, and in the future. We need to trust God. The second of these areas is demonic reality that I want to think about. Think about all the things that happened to Job. Job said, well, you know, it must be God that's causing this. That was his kind of assumption. Um, and his wife said, you know, she, she certainly was of that opinion. God's causing all this. And it's so easy to blame God when things go wrong. But I, I just kind of think in our world, in our uh, culture that we live in just now, I, I think it's so easy to forget that there is a demonic reality I just wonder if we lived in a quieter, slower, 
less distracted world, would we be more aware of spiritual realities, whether the reality of God in the world or even demonic reality? I wonder sometimes in our culture, are we moving at such a fast pace and so distracted by so many things that we are so unaware that we live in a spiritual world? There's another interesting little segment in the book of Job. It's in chapter 4, verse 15, and it's Eliphaz, one of Job's friends, and he's speaking to Job, and you know, you've heard that phrase, Job's comforters, and they're all trying to kind of get around him and, you know, G him up, but they actually have the opposite effect on him. But one of, one of these guys, Eliphaz, he says, he says this, he talks about something that happened that was startling. He says, a spirit glided past my face, and the hair on my body stood an end. A spirit glided past my face, and the hair on my body stood on end. I wonder what it was like to live in the world in that day, without all the distractions that we have. No phones, no internet, no TV, no radio, no shops, no cars. Think about all the things that are part of our life, that fill our life. None of that existed. When you went from A to B, you had to walk, or maybe you got a horse, or something like that. And in a world with a lot less distraction, Eliphaz is aware of something spiritual that happens, this spirit that glides past him, and it has an effect on his whole body. It says that the, the hairs in his body stand at end. I, I can almost feel it happening as I'm even thinking about it. In our culture, we are blinded to the spiritual world by things like materialism, ambition, the pursuit of happiness, prosperity, and pleasure, just to name but a few. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 12 about the culture that we live in. He was speaking about his culture, which is very different from ours, but the principle is the same. And in the message, it reads this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. What an interesting way for Eugene Peterson to put it in the message translation of the Bible. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. The world has a way of working. There is a corporate way of thinking. And the problem these days, if you don't agree with popular culture and thought, if you choose to say something different, then you lose your job. It blows my mind the way our culture is working in our country these days where somebody expresses their opinion and they lose their job because of it. Whether you agree with that person or disagree with that person, surely they should have the right to express their opinion into the culture. But that's where our culture is heading, where the best way to deal with your opponent is to shut them up so that they can't share their opinion. That's the best way to win an argument. And that's what's happening in our secular and increasingly secular culture. Secularism wants to shut down the voice of the church. It wants to shut down the voice of Christians so that nobody is able to share their opinion. 
That's the best way to win the argument. That's the best way to influence popular culture is by actually shutting down your opponent. And the problem is that we can become saturated in the culture in which we live. What does Paul say? Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That's why we need to read our Bibles. That's why we need to pray. That's why we need to invite God into every situation in our life so that we have His perspective on the culture, His perspective on the situations that we face, His perspective on life, and we're able to speak His truth into the culture. And that's becoming increasingly more challenging. And sometimes we are so blinded to what's going on because we are so distracted and we don't think about what's happening around us. And I was thinking about that, uh, that passage in the Bible where Jesus talks about the broad path. He says there are two ways that you can go here. There's a broad path and it leads to destruction. There's a narrow path and it leads to life. And few find the narrow path. This broad path is what culture is doing in our society now. It's taking people away from God, it's shutting down the arguments, and it's taking people to a path of destruction. And very few people find the narrow way, the way that leads to God, the way that leads to life. And the challenge for us as Christians is what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? What are we doing about the masses of people who are on the broad road to destruction, so caught up by the culture, caught up by the momentum of the culture, that they're not even able to see that there is an alternative, there's a different way, there's a Jesus way to live, a way that brings life in all its fullness. You see, the broad road leads to death and destruction. That's where it leads, of the person And if you look at society, that's what's happening in society today because there's nothing to ground a society in now. There is no absolute truth. There is no moral set of standards. Our culture is wandering all over the place today, lost and looking for direction. And Jesus comes and he holds out a way and he says, this is the way, and people reject the way. And sometimes I think people reject the way because they look at the church as an institution and think, I don't want to be part of that. And I I can kind of understand that in a sense. But Jesus is saying, the way that I have for you is a way of life. Man, the subheading just now is demonic reality. I think the reality is that demonic reality is affecting our culture. There is a spirit behind things. Um, I'm just looking forward. I'll come to that a wee second in my notes. (laughs) Um, Let me think a wee bit about human responsibility. I think there are two responsibilities, sorry, there are two postures we can adopt when we think about our human responsibility. The first one is to kneel before a sovereign God in adoration, worship, humility, and obedience. The second is to stand against demonic realities, resisting the devil, and standing our ground. If you look at this little diagram here, okay, our human responsibility to 
divine sovereignty is to bow before God, to worship God, to put God first, to humble ourselves and put Him first in our lives. I, I can imagine it like the Roman soldier. I tried to find a picture. I couldn't. But you can imagine the Roman soldier with his sword and his shield. And he's on his knee. The shield's down. And he's got the sword like that kind of sticking in the ground. And he's kneeling before his sovereign, kneeling before Caesar. And that's the kind of picture that I had when I thought, thought about just submitting to God. The second posture is the Roman soldier with his shield. And I tried to find a picture of this as well. I couldn't. I'm going to have to buy some shields and swords and take my own pictures, I think, right? And you imagine, you imagine this guy who's got his shield and he's, he's got his foot behind him and he's leaning in and he's got his sword. And that's the picture that Paul's trying to paint when he talks about the spiritual armor that we read about in Ephesians. The shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's the two postures which we should adopt as Christians. One is submission to God. The second is standing against the enemy and resisting the devil. What does it say in James chapter 4? Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The only way to be able to resist the devil is if we're first submitted to God. If your life is not surrendered to God, you do not stand a chance when it comes to resisting the devil. You will not do it. You cannot do it in your own strength. We need to first submit to him, then we resist. If you're living life your own way, the Bible calls it sin. And if you're living that way, then your life is open season for demonic reality. Your life is open season for the devil to come and attack your life just like he did with Job. I'm not saying that the devil's at everybody's door all the time, okay? I personally don't think I'm that important for the devil to be coming and chapping on my door all the time, right? <laughs> Let me just say that. And the, the thing is that unless you're submitted to God first, you will try to resist and you'll try to do it in your own strength and you will fall and you will fall and you'll fall, and you will keep falling until the moment when you surrender to God, when you surrender to the life of the Spirit in you, and you allow the Holy Spirit to do the work through you, okay? The reason Jesus was able to resist the devil when he was in the wilderness, you remember? Jesus got baptized by John. The Spirit led him off into the desert where he fasted and prayed for 40 days. And in that time that says that the devil came to him, and tempted him in three different ways that we read about. There might have been more, but there's three different ways that we read about that, that, that Jesus is tempted by the devil. But because he has submitted to his father, because he's done that first, he's able to resist the devil. He's able to use that shield of faith and that sword of the Spirit. And we need to remind ourselves when we're thinking about our human responsibility, our response, how do we respond to what's happening? In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. That's where our struggle is. Not with other people, but with demonic reality. And that's what we're responding to. We're responding to these two things. We're responding to God and his sovereignty and his rule, which spans all of time and even 
like spilling out into time that way and spilling out into time that way, beyond time, God has an eternal perspective and we need to submit to him and we need to resist the devil. That is our human responsibility. My clock up the back isn't working for some reason, so I don't know where we're at in terms of time in the service, so uh, you'll forgive me uh, if I just check this, which I need to. That's fine. Um, yeah, just some things that I'll share because I think I've got a wee bit of time. You know, you probably have picked up, I've been reading that book, The Resilient Life uh, by Gordon MacDonald. And this is what it says in one of the chapters. Resilient people foresee the great questions of life's passage. Resilient people anticipate the questions they're going to have to ask and find answers for in the years to come. And he goes on to talk about uh, what life is like in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s and 70s and so on. And the questions that we anticipate. And as I was reading it, I thought, I've read this before. I read it in another book where somebody was quoting Gordon MacDonald on the things which he had said. And I thought, wow, it just was so thought-provoking. And this, this fascinated me um, when he talked about people in their 20-somethings. Let me read it out to you because I think it's kind of relevant to what we're talking about today. Um, it says, 20-somethings are becoming aware that they can no longer get away with irresponsible or unsocial behavior. Okay? That's the teenage years. That's human responsibility. Life patterns, habits, personality quirks need adjustment if one is to get along. We start realizing that we need to get along with other people, working alongside. And he goes on to say, so the question, what parts of my life need correction, arises. It's also not surprising that people in their 20s wrestle with the so-called lordship question. Am I going to submit to God's sovereignty? Is what we're talking about here. Around, this is how he puts it, I love this. Around what person or conviction will I organize my life? I have thought about that for a long time when I read that. Around what person or conviction will I organize my life? Perhaps he goes on to say, this is the mother of all questions for every age. But it reaches a point of great significance as one comes to the realization that the game of life is no longer the amateur game of the teen years. Now it is a serious matter with increasingly serious consequences and one must identify an organizing principle that will bring the pieces of life into order. That principle, the Bible-embracing person believes, is really a person. Jesus Christ, his saving power, his call, his teachings. There's that thought. What are we organizing our lives around? What are you organizing your life around? A person, a philosophy, what are you organizing your life around? I talked earlier about the fact that we're traveling at 67,000 miles an hour around the sun. We are stuck in that orbit, okay? Every year we do one lap. Every year we get a bit older and we move from our 20s to our 30s to our 40s and so on. <laughs> Where do you fit? <laughs> right at the end. <laughs> 
But for each of us, I think we need to come to a point where we face the fact that we can't change divine sovereignty. We can't change demonic reality. These are constants in our world. All we can do is change ourselves. Who or what are you organizing your life around? What are your habits? What do you think and do every day that's giving your life the direction that it has right now? And are there things, let me just put it this way, if you could change one thing about your life right now, what would it be? I've asked that question in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 40s, and I still ask that question in my 50s. If there's one thing that I want to change about my life, what is it? I don't know about you, but for me, I want to be like Jesus. That's, that's my ultimate goal. I want to be like him. And what a standard to live up to. And I need to look at my life. I need to look at the habits. I need to look at the things that I think, the things that I do, the things that I say every day that are making me who I am. You need to look at the habits and the things that you think and the things that you say and things that you do every day that are making you who you are. They're either reinforcing something that might be a bit like Job's wife and saying, why don't you just curse God and die? Because God's abandoned you, he's left you. Or like Job who says, don't ever say that again, because it's not true. God is sovereign. God is still on the throne. And when we think about change, when we think about our habits, the things that we think, the things that we do, the things that we say every day, it's easier to change things for a short time. And it's easier to change things that can change back. It's when we change big things when we can't go back. That's where the rubber hits the road. See, we can try to do all this in our own strength. And we can miss the point, really. We try to live this Christian life on our own strength. And we end up tripping up. And we end up tripping up. And we end up tripping up. It's only when we surrender to him. Let me just draw things to a close because time really is marching on. One of the biggest changes you can ever make in your life is to give it fully to Jesus. One of the biggest changes you can make in your life is to totally surrender your life to Jesus. Every aspect of your life. Every aspect. There's not just some parts that we surrender to him, it's every aspect. And I'm not just talking about people who've never become a Christian before, who've never acknowledged Jesus. I'm talking about Christians today. I'm talking about Christians who need to live wholeheartedly for God rather than half-heartedly. When the church lives wholeheartedly for God, maybe we'll see some new things happen. You see, you can't walk with one foot in heaven and one foot in hell. It just doesn't work. It'd be like me trying to walk along the front of this platform, and if there wasn't a camera trained on me, I would do it. Right? Walk with one foot on that bit of the platform and one bit on this, 
and I'd be up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down as I walk across this platform. Have you ever met people whose Christian lives are just like that? Up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Sometimes they're swinging from the chandeliers in spiritual experiences, and then the, the next minute, you're having to lift them up from the depths of despair. Super spiritual one minute, super depressed the next. I don't think that's how God wants us to live. I think God wants us to live in the reality of His presence, submitted to His divine sovereignty, and resisting demonic reality when it comes and attacks us. And Paul put it like this, and he put it quite bluntly in Romans chapter 8, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. What's the key in this? Is the key about how we live according to the sinful nature or according to the, you know, the Spirit? What's the key? I think the key is, but if by the Spirit... By the Spirit. I have had years and years and years to try and do things in my own strength, battling with things. It was only as I submitted to God and to His sovereignty and allowed His Holy Spirit to work in my life that those things began to move and began to change. It's only when we submit to Him it's when we become clay in the potter's hands. When he begins to shape us and mold us into who he wants us to be, that's when we begin to see the victory in life. And that is our spiritual warfare. That is it's submitting to divine sovereignty and resisting demonic reality. That is our spiritual warfare. Only by submitting to him. Romans 8, 14 says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Those who are led by the Spirit. We need to allow the Holy Spirit access into every area of our life, every area of our thoughts, every area of the things that we say, the things that we do, and allow Him to lead us and guide us. And don't think that by submitting to God, in that way, that you're abdicating your human responsibility. I want to suggest today that that is your human responsibility, to submit to him and to resist the devil. But don't think you can do it in your own strength. You need God in you to allow you to gain the victory. It'd be very easy to blame God for the car crash. But when you're the one that's in the driving seat, you have to take responsibility for it. If you're in the driving seat of your own life and you're taking command and taking control and saying, I've got this, we're fine, we're good. Don't blame God if there's a crash. <laughs> it's not his fault. James talks about this in chapter 1, verse 4 of his book. He says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. You see, we sometimes blame demonic reality when something goes wrong in our life and say, well, the devil was tempting me. 
It's the devil's fault. He made me do it. But actually, James is saying that it's come from deep down inside somewhere. That's why we need to allow this deep part of us to be transformed. Again, back into Romans chapter 12, it talks about being transformed through the renewing of your mind, the whole of your being. We can't change the sovereignty of God, nor can we change the reality of the demonic. We can only embrace our human responsibility. And I want to finish by saying this. God cares, the devil doesn't. What about you? God cares about people. The devil doesn't. What about you? Let's just finish today by praying and just asking God to help us with these things in our own lives. Let's just bow our heads as we pray. I don't know, maybe there are some people joining us today online or or whatever, and you've never given your life to Jesus, then today you can do that. You can allow him to become Lord in your life. And we're going to pray a prayer in just a little second to do that. And then I want to pray a prayer for people who you are a Christian, and maybe you're struggling with this continual battle between your old nature and the way that you want to live. And we're going to pray for you today as well. But let's pray that first prayer first. And you can repeat this after me and you can pray it into yourself or out loud wherever you are. And just ask God to come into your life and to help you to live the way that he wants you to live. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his death and his resurrection. I thank you that he forgives, forgives my sin. And I ask that you would come in through your Holy Spirit into my life. Forgive me. Clean me up. Make me new. And help me to live the way you want me to live. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, we just pray for anyone who's prayed that prayer, Lord, that you would begin to do a work in their lives. Father, that there be that transaction of life. Father, we thank you that when we confess our sins, that you, you forgive us and you make us clean, that our sins are forgiven, that they're covered over. Father, that our account has been settled and that we don't owe you anything because Jesus paid it all. And Father, we, we, we pray that you would help us to grasp that reality. Father, for those who are Christians, who, who, who are trying to follow you, Father, we pray that you'd help us to come to a place where we stop trying to do it in our own strength. But Father, just day by day, surrender our lives and our will to you. Father, just as Jesus prayed in that garden, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to gain victory in our lives. And Father, maybe some of us are at a place where we, we, we don't even know the things that we need to address in our lives. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and that you would convict us and that you would show us the things in our lives that we need to, to maybe just get right with you, get them in alignment with your will, and that you would come through your Holy Spirit and that you would help us. And maybe there are people here today, and, and that's your prayer today, and you, you know that you just need God to come and help you in a certain area 
of your life. And I just want to be still for a wee moment or two to allow you to respond to that. I'm not going to ask people to put hands up or stand up or do any of those things, but in your own heart today, just pray that prayer out to God. Come and help me in this particular area, whatever that is for you. Just take a moment to pray that prayer. And Father, we thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you that you hear even the inaudible prayers. Father, the prayers that come from the very depths of our heart. And Lord, we pray, help us to live in the reality of what you have for us. Father, you have an incredible plan for our lives. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to step into that plan. Help us not to wait till tomorrow, but Father, to step into that plan today, to step into all that you have for us. And Lord, we pray that your Spirit's power would be at work in our lives. May it be a dynamic force that changes us from the inside out. And Father, in areas where we've struggled for years, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come. And as we surrender to you, Father, that we would uh, see the victory in our lives. Father, that we would live in victory and not in defeat. Father, help us to take up those two postures. First, first of all, Father, with our sword uh, in the ground, kneeling before you as we bow to your sovereignty. Father, secondly, resisting the devil with our shield of faith high, with our sword drawn and ready to use it. And Father, may we take up those two postures as we go out into all that this world has for us. Father, help us to, to be uh, totally absorbed in your word and the things which you want for us. Lord, that we might be salt and light in our society. Father, that we might be able to reach out to some who are on that broad path and rescue them and bring them into the kingdom of light, your kingdom. And so, Father, we just pray for this congregation that your blessing would be upon every family, upon every home, upon every heart. Lord, for all who are tuned in online, Father, maybe even some who are not part of this church, Lord, we pray your blessing on, upon them and upon their families. And Lord, we pray for your church across this area of West Lothian. Lord, we pray that you would do something new in this area. Father, something that will change the landscape, that will change the dynamics in this area forever. Father, we pray, help us as we go out into this week. Lord, the things that we're maybe struggling with, Lord, you know every heart, you know every need. We've already prayed that you would come and that you would meet every need, Father. And Lord, we just pray that you would do that in Jesus' precious name. And so, Lord, we thank you for all that you are to us. And we bless you and we give you praise and thanksgiving and worship and honor and all glory. And Father, we just submit ourselves to you today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So the Lord bless you. Have a great week. I do need to do one last thing before you go. Um, I do need to take a wee picture or two or three. I can't be doing all this stuff, but there you go. That's what we need to do now. So have a great week and the Lord bless you. And uh, if you need help with anything, just give us a shout and uh, we're happy to do that.